We've been sharing over the last couple of weeks about the miraculous is that we serve a big God who still does miraculous things and really sharing about what that means. But uh, a little bit of what I want to communicate to you tonight is how to actually receive a miracle and how to, uh, you know, because miracles aren't just random acts of God. Amen. How many of you realize that? Yes. You got to look throughout, the, especially throughout the ministry of Jesus you know, and as I've as we've been studying and going through and just reading through scripture after scripture and different things, that many times Jesus looks at him and says, "Hey, your faith made you well. Your belief, your trust in God, what the thing that you asked for has come to pass." And really, he he kind of gave them a little bit of ownership as to why God had worked on their behalf. It wasn't just uh, you know people minding their own business and Jesus walked by and just started touching folks and things started happening. Is that many you know even throughout. Um, the ministry of Jesus, you see where, you know, a blind person would come to him and he would say, well, what do you need? Well, Jesus, you know, you're a prophet. You have words of knowledge. You have wisdom. You have, you have every spiritual gift. I think you probably knew what that guy needed. And even if you didn't have all those spiritual giftings, you could just, in the natural, say, well, he's blind. He needs. But yet Jesus still asked him why, because he wanted to know where his faith was. He wanted to know what he was actually believing for. And, uh, you know, and so there are some things that we can do and it's... It, by the end of this, I, I can just, it's going to take a little bit different of a turn, but I also believe um, part of why the Lord has been um, stirring this in my heart and, uh, is that it, this is part of our prayer, is that we want to be a place where miracles can happen, where the power of God is evident, not because of us, but because it's part of who He is and part of how He wants to, to work and to move. But how many of you realize that the conditions also have to be right for those things to happen? And, uh, you know, and as I was, as I was praying about this and just seeking the Lord, I got under a little conviction as well in some things. And so, um, I'm not sharing these things tonight from the standpoint of, Hey, this is something that, um, you know, that I've just got all figured out. But I do know this is that if, and it, because it really is an individual thing. And if we'll get it all in the proper perspective, in the proper place individually, it will take our church and create the atmosphere for God to do supernatural things. And so, um, just turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles, uh, you can, Turn or go to Mark chapter 8. We're going to read a couple of passages here. And then I'm going to share a little bit um, about some things. That, and because I believe that, um, and as I, as, I just was, as, as I was praying and kind of just what I call processing it out. You know, and kind of letting the Holy Spirit show me what the Lord's lead me in. Um, he took me to several different uh, scriptures. And so here in Mark chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 22. This is talking about Jesus and the disciples are on their way. They had arrived from Bethsaida in verse 22. And it says that some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. It says Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. It says then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and says, can you now or can you see anything now? It says the man looked around and he said, I can see, but I can't see very clearly. It says the um, Referring, or it says, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. So they look like trees walking around. Verse 25 says, Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open, and his sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. And then in verse 26, Jesus, um, which he would do pretty regularly, says that Jesus sent him away saying, Don't go back into the village on your way home. And so we see some things here, which this is actually only one of two accounts where something miraculous happened with Jesus, that it wasn't instantaneous, that it was actually progressive. Uh, in the ministry of Jesus, typically when something miraculous, it was that fast, just 
You were sick, now you're not. You were bleeding, now you're not. You were blind, now you can see. You were deaf, now you can hear. You were mute, but now you can speak. And it was instantaneous. And yet here, we see this interesting example. And I think there's a few things here that I just want to point out. And you'll understand why here uh, in a few moments. But uh, one of the first things that Jesus did was he told the man, we've got to get out of this village. In other words, and this is what I would tell you, and you'll understand why I say this here in a few minutes, is Jesus told the man, look, God wants you to be healed, but the conditions aren't right in this moment for you to be healed. So I need to get you to a place that the conditions are actually right. And so he says, we've got to get out of the village. And then Jesus heals the man. And then what's his command? Don't go back through the village. Now, how many of you realize that God never says anything? Jesus never says anything without a purpose. There's always a reason why. Well, what if this man would have turned around and said, well, but it's shorter to go back through the village to go home, which obviously tells us that the man wasn't from there. More than likely, from what I can see in Scripture, I would assume that this man probably would have lost his healing. That Jesus had given him a reason and an assignment. says, look, you go home, but just don't go back through the village. And, of course, he tells me, he says, look, you know, you're not to tell all these things. And now, over in uh, Mark chapter 5, so we see this moment here where Jesus has healed a blind man. And in Mark chapter 5, it's a familiar passage of Scripture, and I'll give you the, the backstory. Most of you are going to know this, but this is the story of Jairus' daughter. And, of course, you know, Jairus comes and says, hey, would you come and, and lay hands upon my daughter? She's very ill. And Jesus says, yes, of course, I'll come. The woman with the issue of blood kind of interrupts the whole uh, procession. And so she makes a scene right there in the middle of Jesus going to perform one miracle and Jesus being completely unaware that anybody of faith is touching him. All of a sudden, the Bible says he recognized or realized that virtue, or really that word accurately translated is the anointing, saying that he realized that the anointing had departed from him. In other words, it had left him and gone into somebody. And of course, there's this whole conversation with disciples saying, hey, who touched me? They're like, everybody's touching you. What do you mean, who's touching you? He says, no, someone really touched me. Something happened. Something was different. And so the story goes on, of course, this lady had been sick and the Bible says that she had been to the doctors and spent all of her money and she didn't get any better. And as a matter of fact, she only got worse and worse and worse. And so she had spent everything she had and this was her last ditch effort basically. And she had heard, obviously she had heard because it says that she had heard that people would touch Jesus and they would become whole. And her thought and her prayer was, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Well, she receives exactly what she asked for. And of course, Jesus, there's a whole conversation there where he says, who touched me? And she, you know, and she says, it was me. And they have this. And then the word comes to Jairus about his daughter. So even in the ministry of Jesus, we see that he didn't even have to be aware for miracles to happen. Now, just to show that this actually is true, not just of Jesus being Messiah, but also even as us as believers, the Bible says in the book of Acts that even Peter's shadow would go across people who were sick. Like he's looking one direction and... His shadow people would get healed in. You know, and so we see even in that, that the miraculous can happen even if we're not even aware. Why? Because we're carriers of the presence of God. And just our presence can actually bring about miracles in people's lives around us. You know, I mean, if, if we're walking with the Lord and believing for God to do more, then I believe that that can happen. But here in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 34... Well, starting in verse 35. 
It says, while Jesus was speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. It says the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is now dead. There's no use in troubling the teacher or the master anymore. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Thanks, Jesus. I just got I just found out my daughter died while I'm here with you. And you're saying, don't worry about it. Just believe. It says, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone else go in with him except Peter, James, and John. So again, Jesus is saying, hey, for the miraculous to happen, the conditions need to be right. And they're not right in this moment. Uh, other accounts of this actually say they were in the room and he told them to leave. And, and so it goes on here, though. Well, the crowd was with him and it says, then he... Um, When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw so much commotion, wailing and and weeping. says, he went inside and asked, why is all this commotion and this weeping? says, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. It says, the crowd laughed at him. Can you imagine? I mean, you're Jesus, the Son of God. Miracles happen everywhere you go. And then he walks into a room and says... This young girl is not dead. She's only asleep. And then they begin to laugh. Other translations actually say they begin to mock him. They begin to make fun of Jesus to his face. And there's a 12-year-old girl dead in the room. And they're making fun of Jesus. So obviously Jesus has to make a course correction here in this moment. Because he has a problem. He's now given his word to Jairus that I will come and heal your daughter. She's now passed. And so now the conditions aren't right for Jesus to actually do the thing that he said he would do. It says that Jesus responds and he makes them all leave. And he took the girl's uh, father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. It says, holding her hand, he said to her, uh, however you say that, it means little girl, get up. If you have some rendition of that, good luck. Verse 42, though, it says, and the girl who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. It says, uh, they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. It says, Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. So we have this unbelievable, miraculous moment. So we have Jesus with the blind man and the conditions aren't right. And he says, hey, I need to get you out of town. I need to walk you out of this city because the conditions aren't right for this miracle to happen. And then we see it again with Jairus. Where it's like, man, why is all this going on? Jesus is committed to his word because he can't lie. And he said, I will help you. So he walks into the house and there's weeping and, and, and you know, all this commotion. And he says, the conditions aren't right in this moment for this to happen. So I've got to get the conditions right. And so, he, of course, he sends everybody out except for who? The three disciples and her parents. And in that moment, Jesus performs another miracle. Now, if we just keep reading into chapter 6, which is part of what really where I I want us to kind of focus in on a few things, and I'm going to share some things about this that I believe that's important for us to grab hold of and and to understand about the conditions for a miracle. Because it's important in an environment, you know, because yes, there is faith, but I believe that there's something else. And, you know, part of this, I'll tell you what, let me just read this part and then I'll get into what I want to, some of what I feel like the Lord wants me to share tonight. But here, continuing in 
Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says that Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. It says the next Sabbath began, or it says the next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many uh, who heard him were amazed. It says they asked, Where did he get all of this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So here Jesus is teaching, and not only teaching, but he's demonstrating the gospel. He's, he's, he's really displaying the glory of God. Is that he's teaching to the point that they are in shock and in amazement about how does he have this kind of wisdom and who is he that he can do these kind of miracles? Why? Because no one, there was a whole lot of talk, but not much action going on in this time. It was a very, very religious culture. It wasn't like the prophets of old, because you've got to remember there were three, four hundred years of silence between Malachi and Matthew and the birth of Christ and the angels appearing. So there had been a long, we call it the dark ages. Why was it dark? Because God was not moving. God was not speaking. It was a time of silence between heaven and earth. Jesus comes in and all the, you know, and obviously we know this, you know, all of us know the story, but it was a very religious time. People just lived according by the law and really more by man's uh, structure and routine and what man had set up. And then God comes in through Jesus to show something different. And so he stands up and he's preaching with all of this wisdom. And he's displaying the power of God and it says they scoffed or they made fun. So here Jesus again, right on the heels of, of healing Jairus' daughter. Being made fun of in that moment. The next day he wakes up and it's really not any better. It says that they begin to scoff and say, well, he's just the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So in one moment, they go from being amazed and astonished at who Jesus is and what he's teaching to now they're offended. It's amazing how fast offense can happen, by the way. This has nothing to do with the message, but yet it does. Because if you want to stop miracles from working in your life, just get offended. As a matter of fact, if you just want to like stop the ability of God in your life and just give like the devil open season in your life, hold on to an offense. Surefire way. The devil is going to be able to run rampant in your life and the power of God will be restrained. Not because God wants it to be, but because we've allowed offense. You know, I heard a, a story one time about it and they gave the example about a monkey that they had hung this thing in a cage as a stick and he could grab it. You know, and they were trying to catch the monkey. Basically, it was, it was in tribal areas and they were trying to catch these monkeys because they wanted to eat. And so they would kill the monkeys and eat them. And so the way they had figured out to catch the monkey was they would hang a stick in the middle of a cage. Well, the thing was you couldn't get the stick out of the cage because it was tied to it. Well, they would run up with a club and whack the monkey, you know, and knock him out. And then they'd kill him and they'd have dinner. The thing that they found out about the monkey was they wouldn't let go of the stick. All he had to do was let go of the stick and then he could pull his hand out and run away. Well, kind of keep that in mind when we're talking about offense. Don't be the monkey. Let go so he don't whack you in the head, right? So that gives you a good mental picture. You want to hold on to your offense, that's fine. But just know the devil's coming to thump you. But you can get away if you'll let it go. You don't have to hold on to it. And so here it says, though, that the crowd was deeply offended. I mean, they weren't like mildly offended. They were greatly offended. And they, but out of their offense, what that produced was a lack of belief as well. 
It wasn't just that they didn't believe in Jesus from the get-go because they were astonished by his teaching. They saw the miracles, which we don't even know what the miracles were in this moment. It doesn't tell us. But it says that they were amazed by his wisdom and amazed by uh, the power that he walked in. And yet they went from being amazed to deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. Jesus says in verse 4, A prophet is, is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and among his family. It says, And because of their unbelief, he could, do, uh, he could not do any miracles except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. One translation says it this way about in verse 5. It says that he could only do a few minor healings. Just little stuff. Nothing major. Just, And it was only a few of them at that. And so even here, I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. This is the Messiah that we're ta- who was full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of God. And yet even he was hindered by the conditions that they had produced. Now the conditions were right. At one point, the conditions were right because Jesus taught and they were amazed and he was performing miracles and something happened in this moment. And it's not just their offense. It's it's deeper than that. That's part of it. And and yes, they got offended and yes, in that moment. But Jesus takes it to a whole other level with them. And and he says, and he's talking here and he says that they couldn't honor him because they knew him. Really what happened was familiarity had come in. Why? Because when he was just a preacher, when he was just somebody they didn't know or didn't... Let me say this. When they didn't recognize who he was, they could have received from him. And some did because he was performing miracles. But when they recognized him, when they became aware of who he was, they're like, wait a second. He just grew up down the road. We know him. We know his family. We went to school with them. All of a sudden, the conditions changed. And even Jesus himself, even though he wanted to. I mean, here it says that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Another way that you could say that is this, is that Jesus was amazed at their lack of honor. A lack of honor. And Jesus parallels this, and he really says... That a lack of honor is is just the same as a lack of faith or a lack of belief. Now, you know, and even as I was praying and, you know, well, let me just, I'll get into that here in a second. But they went from being amazed to being offended and it stopped the miraculous flow happening from Jesus. Offense will do the same for us. Now, I'm not even saying... If you're offended by a preacher, if you're offended by this person, oh, well, the ministry gift can't work. I'm saying if you're offended by your neighbor, why? Because I'm just a channel. I don't have, you know, I don't have the corner or anybody for that matter. No one has the corner on the anointing. And if we ever look to a person, we're already in trouble. We're to look to the Lord because he's the God of the miracle. Somebody may say, oh, well, I've got the gift of miracles. It's a gift. Let's keep that. It's a gift. And if we ever take the gift for granted, guess what happens? God says, I will just take it and put it on somebody else. And we've seen that happen. I've seen it happen with people. 
Where they thought, oh, well, this is my gift. This is my ability. This is, I've created this. No, it's the Lord who's given you that. And the problem was, is that there even became familiarity inside of even, and this can happen for all of us. We can become so familiar with the presence of God, even in our own services, that we just take it for granted. We just say that it's common. And what happens? Now, not only do we, can we get easily offended, but what goes even deeper is now we move from a place from having a lack of faith to now we move into a place of actually not even honoring the presence of God. And so what happens? The conditions for God to move have changed. You could be sitting in the same seat by the same person in the same service and yet not receive anything. Why? Because of a lack of honor. And, you know, and so I want to share a little bit uh, about this because I believe that the conditions, and this applies to us as individuals, whether we're believing for something personally, but also for us corporately as well. Is that if we, uh, you know, and, and I want to say some things specifically, um, you know, because I believe that, because part of why I believe that the Lord has been stirring this up in me is to stir up for us to begin to believe, to see things more and more and more. Is that, man, we want to watch the gospel happen right before our eyes. I mean, you know, and even, you know, and I've been in other nations and I've been other places and you read stories and you're like, well, why would things like that happen in South America? Why would things happen like that in China? Why, you know, I mean, I was just talking with somebody, uh, I think it was last week and they were talking and we were kind of talking about some of this. And they were telling me a story about uh, uh, this at a church service where somebody, they had prayed over somebody and their arm just grew out. Just, just. Like, I'm not talking like a hundred years ago. I mean, like, this just happened. Well, why don't we see things like that in America? I mean, if God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if God's the same God in America as He is in South America, Central America, Africa, Asia, Europe, we hear about these stories from all over the globe. Why don't we see it happening in America? It's a lack of honor, I believe. And, it, and really, it goes deeper. I mean, yes, it is honor, but ultimately, it's about reverencing the presence of God. Because what, in our culture, many times what happens is, is that God is an option. In other cultures, he's, not, he's the only option. You know, I mean, even like in our... And look, and I, I say this and, and hear, my, hear what I'm saying by this. Is that we have meta, medical... Ability in our nation. We have hospitals and doctors and medication and all these things. And well, we're like, well, we'll believe God, but if not, I can always go to the doctor. Is that not being casual with the presence of God? Is that not a casual approach or a mentality concerning the presence of God and the ability of God? And yet, even when we have that, and look, and I have nothing against doctors, I'm not saying that we shouldn't go. Quite the opposite. God gave you a brain. He also gave you common sense. But we should not believe God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, and possibly imagine just because we have plan B. He is our plan A. Not, well, when all hope is gone and the doctors have done everything they know to do, well, I guess we're going to believe God now. Get the prayer chain going. Was he not the same God prior to? And yet we've waited to now to say, God, you're the one that, that we're going to seek. So we have to be careful. And I, 
to not become too familiar to casually, but, oh, I'm just believing God. I think we have to ask ourselves honestly, are we? Are we really like saying, Lord, I need you to work? Not as a, a secondary or somewhere down the line. I believe that we can treat the, the presence of God casually. You know, I, I mean, and look, and our church isn't bad about this, but I have been in services where I'm trying to communicate the word of God, which is life, which is unbelievable power, unbelievable ability, that it can change the hearts and the minds and the lives of people. And no one is paying attention. You get a whole lot of this or a whole lot. Of, of course, I used to be a youth pastor, so, you know. I had to learn how to preach and just not worry what people are doing. <laughs> but you want to connect, but at the same time, it's like, holy cow. You know, it's possible to have church without the presence of God. But the problem is there's no power without the presence. God's ability, God's, that, that miraculous ability of God on display only happens when he shows up. It doesn't happen without him. And even for us as a church and as individuals, I believe that we have to look at our own heart and our own life to make sure that, man, that I'm still walking in reverence of the presence of God. That I don't just go through the motions in worship. Why? Because I, I recognize that God is attracted to worship. That God's presence comes, with, that when I, as an individual, not as pastor, when I, as an individual, will worship God in spirit and in truth, His presence is attracted. The Holy Spirit actually wants to come into that place. Why? Because as I worship, I'm sending an invitation to the Lord to show up. I'm inviting Him in as I'm opening up my heart, not just to work in me, but to work in anybody that's there with me. I'm setting and I'm creating an atmosphere and the conditions to be proper for God to come in and work at any level. And that even includes of having miracles show up. God moves when we invite. God moves when we have our heart and that reverence where it's not just, well, we're just going to the motions and this is how we do. This is what we do. But it's saying, God, unless you move. I mean, look, and I, and I can be as guilty of this as anybody. It's like, what time is it? Well, we got to, you know, we got things going on. We got. I mean, if I, if you had a need in your life right now, and I said, look, at nine o'clock p.m., God is going to show up and bring you your answer. My hope would be that you would be here. My hope would be like, you're like, I can get to bed a little bit later tonight. But yet Jesus did tell 500 to go to Jerusalem and wait and only 120 went and actually stayed. See, some people just by the sake of, well, you know, why are we singing a little bit longer? Why are you just, why are we singing? Why are we, why are we doing something? I like that. Get your spirit moving. What? We may just have a time of worship. We're just creating an atmosphere for the presence of God. You're like, yeah, but we got to do A, B, C, and D. Said who? We don't have to do anything if we set the right environment. That the atmosphere becomes conditioned for God to work. 
But here's the thing, and part of it, I believe, too, is that, you know, and look, and I understand, and what I want to, what I want to share with you in these next few minutes is I understand that we have covenant rights. May not, we talk about it, we share about that a lot. We have reason to believe God because he said in his word that he would work for us. And that is our right. I mean, we are, the Bible says we are blood-bought, we have a covenant with him. God cannot violate his covenant towards us. But if we're not careful, we can also become like spoiled little brats. And we can become demanding. You know, my son is getting to that age. You know, we make him say please for anything. He throws a fit. We're like, "Uh uh-uh. You want something, you can ask for it, but you ain't throwing a fit. But here's the problem. And look, and we can all be guilty of this. not saying that we all are, but we can be. Is we can demand... What's ours? Instead of seeking the very one who gives it to us. I mean, the Pharisees, you can go read earlier on here in uh, Mark 8, and and they demanded a miraculous sign from Jesus. They said, prove your authority. Give us a sign. Do a miracle. And he said, I'll give you one. You're going to destroy this temple, and in three days it's going to be rebuilt. Of course, they're thinking in the natural. They didn't realize that he was actually speaking about his own life. And he said, I'm not giving you one, basically. But he said, this will be one. And if we're not careful, we can begin to seek, to see God do something. We can treat the presence of God just casually, even in our standing and believing on the word of God, forgetting that we're to actually reverence the presence of God. And if we'll give him honor, reverence, respect, God will come and do. But we're seeking him and keeping him the focus. Not getting distracted on what we're believing for, what we're looking for. You know, well, God, I need you to do this and I need you to do it. No, what you need to do is connect with your heavenly father. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. And when I get take care of the most important thing first, which is my connection with him... The miraculous is just a byproduct. I don't have to do anything. Why? Because he is a miraculous God. But even the condition and the atmosphere of my own heart, my own thoughts, my own life, my own inner talk have to be right. God, I need you. I don't need everything that you can do for me. It's about really the focus of um, really what I'm looking to. And I'll put this in my notes, and it's just good, so I'm going to share it. I think it's good. It may not be good to you, but I think it's good. So I'm going to share it with you. That we have covenant rights, and uh, covenant rights to the promises of God. But even more, it's our privilege. It's our privilege first. Before it was our right, it was our privilege. When I got saved, I knew squat. But I was excited. And it was it was a privilege to me that I was saved. And my heart was excited. Now I didn't know to anything about nothing. But I knew that God had done something in my heart. And there was, a, there was this honor and this, and, and this awe of the presence of God. I mean, we'd get in church service and I'd get a little nervous sometimes. Not because I was doing anything wrong, but just because I didn't want anything wrong. I didn't want there to be anything between me and the Lord. 
And yet there's also been times in my life where, you know, and this even ties in with some of what I was sharing on this past Sunday. That there's been other times that I've been and knowingly had things in my life that weren't right. But yet I would just walk into the presence of God like it was just no big deal. Giving no reverence, no thought, no honor to the presence of God and then saying, God, work in my life. And guess what? God didn't work in my life. Because there was no honor. There was no reverence for the presence of God. Now, the good news is, is the only thing you've got to do to get your attitude where it needs to be is the Bible says repent. <laughs> and I've had to do that some, right in the middle of services. Like, I know the Lord's here. I mean, I, you know, I, I can give you one specific example. I, I've been living for the Lord a number of years at this point. And I'd been around church enough that even just in the natural sense, I could sense the presence of God. You know, I, said this, I could recognize that God was moving. But my heart was ice cold. There wasn't nothing happening on the inside. I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm, I'm an usher. You know, I'm up there catching people. And I was like, oh, you know, God's so good. But on the inside, I wasn't connected to what was happening. To the, and to the point that it actually really started to bother me. Like, and this is all in one service. This isn't like over a month. I'm talking about all in one service. I went from like, I don't even want to be here. Why am I here? This is dumb. Here we go again. I know you've never thought that in church, right? Here we go again. Buckle up. It's going to be a long night. You know, I mean, those of you who are laughing, just identify what kind of church you've been involved with in the past. And, uh, and yet, the miraculous can be happening around us, and we're thinking, it's been a long day. Not even giving reverence to what's happening around us. Not even really being connected. And look, and I've been there. Hmm? I did. Absolutely. And I can remember praying and asking the Lord. I mean, because it, it really it broke my heart. Because I realized what I had been so passionate for. And so desiring of. That it was like, and you know, and I was probably, I don't know. I was in my young 20s at this time. I'd been living for the Lord for a number of years. But I didn't care about going and hanging out with my friends. Back then. Like when I got saved. I tell my friends, I'm not going out. I'm staying home. And they're like, for what? Like, I got other things I want to do. Like, all right, you're weird, whatever. I'd stay home and I'd pray and I'd worship and I'd read my Bible. Do weird things for a 19-year-old kid. 18-year-old kid. But I was hungry for the presence of God. And And I gave honor and it was a reverence in my life. Not just in church, I mean just in parts of my, just in my day-to-day life. See, it's one thing to even, and this I think is one of the tricks of the enemy. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to reverence the presence of God in service. Okay, but what about when you go home tonight? What about tomorrow? What about your day-to-day life? What about, you know, as the Bible calls it, the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not fear as in the spirit of fear. It's not fear as in I'm afraid of God. But there is a fear in the sense of reverence. And awe and wonder. See, and if I can keep that in perspective, 
God is not my errand boy. He is not to bring me whatever I need at whatever whim that I need to say it. No, God, you are God. You are awesome. And I'm going to give you honor and I'm going to give you place in my life. And I'm going to walk humbly before you. That service I was referencing a few minutes ago. I got to the place where I began to ask the Lord and said, God, I don't want this distance. I don't want, I I want to feel your presence like I used to. And I recognize that I have obviously done something. That doesn't mean that I did anything necessary, but I have not made you the priority that I once did. And now there's a distance between, and I don't like this distance. And I want to, I I want to draw close, but I, I don't really know how in this moment. But here's the thing is that God will draw close to the humble. He'll draw close to the worshiper. He'll, he'll draw close to those who are hungry. And so even in our desire and our, our pursuit, if you will, or our believing for miracles. You know, I, I can remember some of you have probably heard this saying. I don't know who said it or I'd give them credit. But talking about that we seek God's face, not his hand. So many times we, we seek what we can get from God right. instead of seeking Him. I don't need to go to the latest, greatest meeting. Now, I, I don't mean any disrespect because there are definitely giftings, there are people. But the truth is, God is God. Amen. Now, if somebody has a certain anointing flowing in their life, yes, I can go and receive from it. You can go and receive. There's nothing wrong with that. Necessarily, but are you pursuing that gifting, or are you perceiving, or are you pursuing the one who gave the gift? It's a big difference. And there's this, there, there's just this, um, this reverence and this, and this hunger that will get stirred up when we, in a sense, remind ourselves of who we serve. We're not just pursuing to make things happen, or to, you know, and it really is exactly what I said. It's our privilege. Even tonight, it's our privilege to get to enter into the presence of God. You're like, well, I didn't feel a whole lot. Was the presence of God here? Is that just what we do? Is that just our function or is that our privilege? It's our privilege. It's our privilege to get to experience the presence of God. The Lord won't come where he isn't reverenced. He won't do it. I mean, we see in the ministry of Jesus, they were offended and they, Jesus even declared, man, oh, you know, he even said it over Jerusalem right before he goes to the cross. The Bible says that he went up on a hill and he looked over Jerusalem and says, how I wanted to gather you. And the famous verse, and Jesus wept. Jesus wept, why? Because they didn't recognize their time of visitation. He said, you've missed your moment. And it was because they couldn't reverence the God that they claimed to serve. It was more form than it was real function in their life. And the same is true for us. The same is true for me. In my own life, in my own, you know, 
I mean, even in what I do, as far as preaching the Word. And there's been times that, hey, it's like, Lord, I can preach. I'm gifted. Yeah, but is the anointing there? Is the presence of God there? People can get up and give talks. But that doesn't mean that the power of God is there. Well, that has to do with reverence in the presence of God. And really giving honor to His presence. Because if we'll reference, if we'll give him reverence, if we'll give him, um, you know, I'll use this word because it's a little easier for us to understand. If I'll respect his presence, he's going to show up. If I'm going to give him what he's rightfully due, he's going to show up. See, when the Lord is reverenced, his presence will show up. And when his presence shows up, needs will be met. We don't have to make it happen. Why? Because God's a good God. And wherever He goes, good things go. Good things happen. Things begin to stir. But the conditions have to be right for Him to come. And it's not that I'm, you know, it's not, oh, we got to have a, you know, four-hour prayer meeting to get the conditions right. The position of, and look, I, I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I, Absolutely. But we can pray until we got no more breath. And if we have no respect and honor and reverence for the presence of God, He will be hindered in our midst. It will be. We'll get like a little trickle. We'll see God do some things. But when we set the atmosphere for the presence of God, when we actually enter into worship... Not waiting for, you know, the hair on the back of our neck to stand up and be like, oh, the presence of God is here. No, the fact that we are here means the presence of God has the potential to display itself. Because the presence of God is here, but it doesn't mean that it will show up and show out. It's not an automatic. But yet when we can create that atmosphere, God's presence will show up and needs will be met. God will move in our midst. Psalms 34 verse 9 says this. <coughs> it says, Fear the Lord, you His godly people. For those who fear Him will have all they need. What a promise. For those who fear Him will have all they need. Verse 10 says, Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing." Now, a lot of people quote that verse, those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. But he's, the, the verse right before that says that we've got to reverence the presence of God. We've got to honor Him to recognize He is the miracle worker. He's the one who does the impossible. He's the one who works on our behalf. He's the one who loved us long before we ever deserved anything. And He's still the one who loves us. And out of His goodness, He works in our lives. And the only thing that He asks in return is that we give Him reverence. Is that we don't allow other things to creep in and to crowd out our our affection for Him. Is that we would create that atmosphere and that moment for God to work. The message translation of verse 9 says it this way. It says, worship God if you want the best. 
And it says, worship opens the doors to all of his goodness. I like that. Worship. God, that's, what, that's, what, that's what we do when we praise and we worship God. We're bringing honor. We're bringing glory. Man, we're lifting him up. We're magnifying him. We're pursuing him in our worship. And as we're pursuing him, his presence will fall. He's going to begin to work. He's going to begin to do things. Not because of we're the best thing to hit El Dorado. It's because he's the best thing to hit El Dorado. That creates the atmosphere when God's presence can fall and the miraculous can begin to happen. See, I don't think we even have to be aware. I mean, not scripturally. I said earlier, somebody touched Jesus' garment. Miraculous happened. He was, what just happened? I mean, I, you know, I'm just curious, analytical like this, but I wonder like when Peter's walking and his shadow crosses somebody, did they yell? And him be like, what in the world's going on back there? I believe miracles can happen right in our midst and we're totally unaware. And that's okay. If I have to be unaware for miracles to happen, I would prefer to be unaware. Than for me to be able to say, oh, well, I know this and this and this happened. I'd rather say, I ain't got a clue how it happened. I just know God showed up. God showed up and God worked and God healed and God moved and God, God did it and God's worthy of all worship and praise. Because he alone is the one who brings the answer. He's the one who, who works in people's lives. He's the one who works in their bodies. He's the one who works in their minds. And if I'll just keep him as priority in my heart. And if we corporately will keep him as priority in our hearts. It will create that atmosphere and those proper conditions for God to come in and to work. It's not hard. It's not difficult. We're not trying to jump through hoops or trying to be better people. No, we just recognize that, God, I'm in need of you. And I need you to work in my life. And I know there's people here who need you to work in their life. And so I'm going to worship because my needs are dependent upon it. But also the needs of other people are are, are dependent upon me actually worshiping and creating an atmosphere in this place. That God will work. I mean worship should come fairly natural. Shouldn't be hard work. Why? Well, be... Is God good? Yes. Is God huge and amazing and powerful and, and so far beyond anything? We... Well sure. Okay just respond to that thought. That's how easy worship is. It's like, God, you are so far beyond anything that I can do, think, say, make. So I'm going to worship you like you are the Almighty. Because He is. And when we can get to that place, amen, and our heart is focused, God will do the miraculous. God shows up where He's reverenced. We don't want to treat it casually. We don't want to treat the Word of God casually. You know, I don't do this, but I've seen... um, Several, I've seen lots of people do this, but like, you know, where they start a service and when they read their first scripture, they ask everybody to stand up. Like everybody stand up for the reading of God's word. I kind of like that. I mean, I personally, have, I don't know if I've ever done that, but I kind of like it. Why? Because it's given reverence to the word of God. Hey, this isn't just words on a page. This is life to my soul. This is healing to my body. This is peace to my mind. This is joy to my soul. And I don't want to treat it casually or lightly like, ah, well, it's just, 
some other little magazine that I read. It's just another book. No, this is life. I mean, Jesus said this is life to those who find it. Just because you have a Bible doesn't mean that you found the Bible. Or that you found the God of the Bible. And Jesus declared today, this word will be life to them who find it. For the sake of how I'm communicating this tonight, that it's life to those who will reverence it. It's life to those who recognize it for what it is. It's the bread of life. I mean, do you realize that even our times of worship set the atmosphere for you to receive from the word of God? It gets your heart in the proper place to have the seed of God's word sown into your heart that it can produce not just one or two times fold, but the Bible actually says you can get 30, 60, and 100 fold. Well, I don't know about you, but 100 is better than 30 times. God can do more quicker when the right, when this, and we know this. I mean, you don't even have to be a, a green thumb person. You don't have to be a garden person to know this. If the soil conditions are right, the seed, the seed produces greater. Well, if, if the soil of our heart is right, the word of God will produce greater. Amen. And I believe that that all starts in that place of honor, that place of reverence. That place of saying, God, you are God. And we just want to create the moment and the space for you to work. And when we do that, God will work. And God will move. And we'll see the miraculous. And we'll see God work. Not just in our life, but in many other people's lives. Amen. And we'll see the goodness of God. But it all starts in that place of... Of reverence. And then as we do that. God's presence just moves and moves and moves. And we get to be a part of it. We don't have to make it happen. But we create the atmosphere for it to happen. And God will honor that. Amen.